Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, episode 150. You know what that means. We're halfway to 300. (laughs) Well, that is true. That is what it means, Mm. assuming we live that long. right? Mm. (laughs) But it also means every 10 episodes, we do an Ask Andrew Anything. And so today is one of those times. That's why you didn't tell me what we're talking about. That's right. Well, okay. (laughs) You have no idea. So I have a few questions for you that have been submitted by our listeners. And we're so grateful for that. And to our listeners, if you're wondering, wow, where do they come up with these questions? Well, they come from you. And you can email us at podcast at IEW.com. And if we use it on the show, then you can hear your answers. If we don't have time to use it on the show, because we do get a lot of questions that come in, we'll be sure that someone answers your question so that you're not left hanging. And the easiest way to get your question answered is just be sure it's either a true-false, yes-no, or multiple-choice question. Long-form answers are tough. Well, yeah, and we could get a lot of questions answered that way, but... None of these are those kinds of All questions. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. No softballs today, huh? Nope. No softballs. In fact, this one is going to be a little twist on your teaching boys talk. This is from Shannon. And she asks, I have a girl, mm-hmm. but she would rather be digging in the dirt, doing science experiments, or playing in her treehouse than doing sit-down work, especially writing. How can you make IEW work for a kinesthetic, tactile learner that prefers to play and experiment? It would be helpful to know how old this child is, but I'll have to guess 8 to 11, somewhere in that range. First of all, always start with a good joke, right? (laughs) So mom needs to get a joke book, and so that way the children know Oh, when we're going to do writing, mom's going to practice a joke on us. It's going to be lousy. She's not going to tell it well. It's going to be corny. The kids will groan, and they'll love it all the more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have found this to be a key element of success. <laughs> it kind of opens up and engages the playful spirit. We did a podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on humor mm-hmm. and the value therein. Another thing I might recommend for this mom is – Keep the sessions shorter. One of the things I learned as a violin teacher and coaching parents on how to practice with kids is that children really have kind of an attention span that isn't a function of what they're doing or where they're doing it. It's just their their time. They're, they're, they time out after a while. So what happens is you're practicing with a child and it starts and it's going a little better, it's going better, it's going better, it's going really great, everything's going well, and then they hit the peak. They are at the top of their attention span, 
and it isn't a gradual decline. It's almost a straight down drop. When they're done, they're done. But what happens is the mom, you know, the the parent who's coaching, will detect that they're on the decline and not want that to happen. Well, let's just, I mean, it was going so good. Let's just keep keep at where we were for a little while longer and try to force that curve up, which really can't be done. And and the child's attentiveness is, is on the downswing. And so if you stop anywhere before the peak, then the experience is, oh, that was kind of fun. I was doing something. Right. So I feel like you attended one of my college classes because, you know, I have my undergraduate degree in recreation administration, Recre- uh-huh. and that was the strategy. And before that climax, at the highest point, so that they want to come back. Right. If you end anywhere after the peak of attentiveness, then the after effect is, mm-hmm. oh, I'm so tired. That was so hard. I don't want to do that again. And then what they remember is that part, not the fun part. Exactly. So I would say, you know, try to keep the writing sessions, you know, shorter than the than they could be and stop before you reach a peak attentiveness. Another thing that is true with all children, it happens to be perhaps more true with boys, but in this case we have a girl that is like a boy in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. Get content that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just see it in the eyes of kids if if they think, "Whoa, that's cool." They're much happier to read about it, talk about it, write about it, rewrite about it. They'll think of better words to use because they think the subject is interesting. We did one source text not long ago on unusual uh, insect-based foods. You know, people in different parts of the world eat, uh, you know, um, scorpions, scorpions, and ants, ants, and then uh, larvae. Right. (laughs) And they cook them. And and these are delicacies. And of course, you know, the girls in the class are like, yuck. Even Kristen here just made a horrible (laughs) face. But it's engaging. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if we get something that's kind of blah, so-so, it doesn't have that same power. It's a lot harder to want to focus on it. Mm -hmm. So that would be my second bit of advice is really try to find content that's engaging. You know, we we in our theme-based books have tried, and Lori, who wrote the history books, and we've got the fairy tales book. We got the all things fun and fascinating, even the uh, Bible heroes. You know, at all different levels, whether you're dealing with primary or high school, we have tried to get source texts that aren't just the same old, same old about mm-hmm. stuff, but things that are historically true, but also interesting. Mm-hmm. So that would be my, you know, second bit of advice. And then my third would be to just be certain that this child is getting as much help as is needed. Mm-hmm. If writing on paper is a difficult or tiring thing, possibly uh, having a child who likes to move around a lot, stand at a whiteboard and write their composition on a whiteboard with bigger letters and moving around and not having to sit, that can make a big difference. Kids enjoy that. And then you can just, you know, take a picture of the whiteboard and boom, did your writing assignment. Right. Nice. I like that. I use a whiteboard. Maybe I just would rather be out playing sports. Well, you're a recreation major. It's just And you had three boys. And I did have three boys. (laughs) So you have a good boy energy that you can... (laughs) One thing I'll, I'll mention too 
when I met Dr. Sachs, who wrote Why Gender Matters, mm-hmm. a lot of that information on my talk came from uh, the Teaching Boys and Other Kids. He pointed out that there there really is kind of a spectrum of masculinity and femininity. And very often when you find girls that are kind of more on the tomboy end mm-hmm. of the feminine side, they often do better in life academically because they're a little more competitive, a little more aggressive, you know, take the knocks a little bit harder, aren't quite so easily, you know, put off or hurt by something, that they often will, will be very successful mm. in an academic or, or you know, professional environment. Mm. And, and sometimes boys who are a little bit more on the calmer side have a little bit more aptitude for, you know, staying in one place and reading and imagination. They often do better in the academic world as well because they have that. So not that you know, we're not all blessed by God to have the personality we have. I think we can be aware that each child has their, their gifts and talents. And the, the kind of more boy-like girl who likes to be out, you know, active can turn out to be a great blessing. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I have another question from Karen. She has high school students and uses a literature-based English curriculum. The books are fantastic, she says, but my students are reluctant to do the reading outside of class time. They also do not want to do other homework outside of class time. Do you have suggestions for motivating students to work independently? Well, her her problem here is reflecting the much larger problem of society in general, mm-hmm. and that is that most people, and this is more true the younger people get, don't read in their spare time. Mm-hmm. They use their time to be engaged with digital and electronic type of media or, or movies or, or perhaps uh, music, maybe sports, either playing or oftentimes watching sports, you know, depending. So I think it's very different than 100 years ago before the screens existed Mm-hmm. people had to go to the book to get the recreation, mm-hmm. to get the imagination, to get the escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those things are available now in a, in a very artificial and I would say less enriching way. But you can't really change the world, nor are you likely unless you want to go become Amish – and I hear even they have some problems too. Mm-hmm. But you're not likely to escape a world without screens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the question how to motivate is, is a many faceted one. One thing I think it's very important to do is use class time to just read. Mm-hmm. You know, just get started. So, uh, when we started a book at the beginning of the year, it was a Dante's Inferno, right? You don't say, here, go read this. You say, okay, open up to the first canto here and you just read for half an hour right there in the class and get them started. Oftentimes, that's the trick. It's mm-hmm. just get it started. And then they'll go, whoa, that's pretty cool. And then they're, I think, more likely to pick it up again in between classes. That's great. So that's one thought. Also, you know, having some type of artificial construct to 
motivate them such as a game. So we'll play a trivia game. We'll play Jeopardy. We'll have some kind of little contest that you're only going to do well at if you actually read the text. You know, that's another way I've seen teachers kind of, I hate to use the word trick, but <laughs> um, I hate to use the word manipulate, but, <laughs> you know, to Gamify. get students. Yeah. And then, of course, you got the whole idea of, of grades. I know a history professor at a university, he's a friend of mine, and he he says that he only assigns books for which there are no spark notes or cliff notes available. Oh, interesting. So he finds very obscure books. And that's the only way he can get kids to read any books mm. because they don't expect to read. They expect to go and get pre-digested summaries, mm. cram, and not waste a bunch of time reading a 400-page book. Right. Uh, so he, he tricks them by using obscure stuff. <laughs> and if they want to pass the class, you know, they've yeah. got to do it. Right. The other thing that comes to mind is I think sometimes we need more class time. A lot of times if this is, say, a homeschool co-op and you're running you know, classes 45 minutes or an hour or once a week, that is just not enough time to get into the literature mm. to the degree that it will be engaging and then half the class comes not having read it, so they're not even involved in the conversation. So I think you've got to maybe argue for more time so that you can do more in-class reading and then talk about what you just read in the class. Our next question is from Julie, and I'm sure she's brilliant and witty and a lot of fun. Oh, I have a daughter named Julia who's very pretty and brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant and witty and fun. Yes, all Julies I've met tend to be that way. <laughs> Do you know that Julie means youthful? I didn't know that. Well, now you know. So speaking of short attention spans, that's Julie's <laughs> question. <laughs> My son has a short attention span when it comes to lesson time. How can I help with that but still let him build forts? Well, again, it would be it'd be good to know the approximate age because, you know, if this child is young – say nine years old, then the the trick would be just use timers and mm -hmm. keep the timer short and try to build up, you know, time of concentration or attention. But I guess uh, there's too many variables here because when she says lesson time, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Is that sitting at the table holding a pencil, looking at a workbook? Because I have a pretty short attention span <laughs> for that myself. Could that include more movement? Could that include, if you're doing math, to do some math facts while you're jumping on a rebounder? Or as I mentioned before, could it be doing some writing or some math on a whiteboard, mm -hmm. which is visually more relaxing? It's Great, more a gross motor. It requires a lot less concentration for the kids that are, you know, visually immature or mildly dyslexic. So, and they can stand. They can stand up too. In the boys' talk, I, I point out that sometimes for a boy just to remain seated <laughs> takes all the energy and concentration he's got. Right. Right. And we might do better than to say, son, sit down and do this math lesson or whatever, 
to say, son, stand here at the counter、mm-hmm. and do this work. You might get a much better result if you let him stand up. So that'd be the first thing. But there's so many variables to that question. It's really a hard one to answer categorically. Right. And just to speak to the standing thing, I did that with my son. Couldn't get him in a chair. Did not know this,、uh-huh. but just kind of intuitively learned that that was going to be the best way to help him be and, able and to focus on his schoolwork. Is he the one that has a standing desk all the time? Yes,、day? he is the one that has the standing <laughs> desk. <laughs> Some of our staff have standing desks, but、yep. they also have places to sit down as well. Chairs, you know, bar stool type chairs. Yeah, he doesn't. No, he's committed. Just, he, he stands the whole time. He's a hundred percent stander. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. This question is from Angela. It's a little bit long, but I think you can grasp the essence of the question. Okay. Shoot. I've been a homeschooling mom for over ten years. Normally, I'm not nervous about how my kids are doing in the grand scheme of things. Dealing with high school, however, has been to- a totally different story. How do you know for sure that there this is really enough? I think, and I'm constantly asked. How my son will succeed in life? What is he doing after high school and college? How can I really know that we're doing enough and all will be well? <laughs> well, I guess there's lots of ways to answer that. One would be just trust the old people like you and me,、yes. whose kids are all grown up. Yes, Angela, my kids are doing great. One of the things I look back, and I think probably the least important thing about growing up was academics.、Mm. Not to say it isn't important to、yes. learn basic skills and、Absolutely. gain knowledge and read books and have intellectual、uh, conversations, but the transcript style. You know, think for a moment about your high school, and you probably took a course like biology. Right for me, it's always biology, but everyone has that one course, right? Where you really weren't interested. The teacher was completely unengaging. You're smart enough to game the system, where you can hold the right information in your brain for just long enough to pass or even get a good grade on a test. But as soon as the test is over, you let it go. There was no relevance. Relevance. It didn't matter, and. A month after the class is over, what percentage of the text or the lectures or the experience do you actually remember? Right, I don't know. I don't know five percent. Yep, probably ten if you're a genius. Two <laughs> percent if you're like me. So, when we look at the way schools do high school, right? Well. I see is that people spend a huge amount of time successfully not learning ninety some percent of what they're trying to learn. <laughs> so it looks to me like it's pretty much a complete waste of time. Perhaps, or perhaps they're learning the discipline of following through. That's true, and there's value there. But in terms of worrying about the academic side, true, I, I would, I would point her to. The question I'll ask people, and this is very interesting, a live audience. I'll say, so pretend that you are a college teacher, a professor, or an instructor in a, in a college or university,、mm-hmm. or that you are a manager or a company owner or someone who has to hire. So pretend that you're either teaching or hiring high school graduates.、Yes. Would you please tell me some of the things that you would like? 
to see in this person. Right. Yes. Okay. And- no one has ever said mastery of biology in ninth grade, <laughs> right? No. What right. do they say? Well, they, they want them to show up on time. They want them to be teachable. They want them to be attentive. They have, have the self-initiative, be friendly and cheerful. All of those are character right. issues. All of those are intangibles. And I, I basically tell you, you know, guarantee if you can read well, write half decently, speak with confidence in, to your peers and, mm-hmm. and in a mixed social group and have those character qualities, you're eminently hireable, needable, mm-hmm. needed in the world. <laughs> Just because you have a transcript doesn't mean you're going to be successful in a university or, real, or quote, real-life situation. So um, one book that might be of interest to her is uh, Tony Wagner, The Global Achievement Gap. I think it's something like why our best schools don't teach the skills we need and what mm. to do about it. Mm-hmm. And he's a, a Harvard guy, and he's essentially pointing out the way the schools are operating is not at all preparing students for the world work that they will come into, partly on the character side, partly on the the communication, the collaboration side. Um, pretty much nobody ever said, oh, you know, we sure need someone who knows more about technology, you know, unless it's a very specific type of IT position. And yet we're all worried that if we don't put iPads and tablets and Chromebooks in elementary schools, somehow children are going to mm-hmm. never learn how to use those things. It's crazy. I would also point and say to this person, if you have a chance, if you can find anyone who works in a public high school or if you want to try and see if you can, go in and visit a public high school for one day Mm. and sit in a few classes, pick up some of the textbooks, try to interact with some kids, or at least find someone who who works in one. And what you'll find out is it's a pretty low bar. I mean, it's a pretty low situation right now. And most homeschool parents who don't do that have – an imaginary high school that they have to somehow measure up to. But it's not really there. Mm. Maybe there's a few great teachers and a few exceptional schools, but your your average school now is not really hard to, to best in academic areas because the skills are low. The reading skills are low. The math skills are low. The writing skills are very low. The general knowledge is very low. So if you just get a sense of what it really is, you come home and feel a whole lot better about your teenagers. Well, that reminds me of what you say about comparing yourself to other people. Yeah, you shouldn't. But it's even worse when you compare yourself with some idealistic other person that may or may not even exist. (laughs) Exactly. Good. Good. Okay, perhaps this is along the same note, perhaps not. I don't know that you've ever personally experienced this, Andrew, but the question from, again, another Julie, she asks, how do you deal with a moody and incompliant teen? (laughs) Well, that's kind of redundant. Moody and incompliant? Teen. Oh, teen. (laughs) 
It kind of reminds me of uh, when Mark Twain said, suppose you are a congressman and an idiot. Oh, I'm sorry. I repeat myself. <laughs> All teens go through phases, some more or less. Mm-hmm. I have recently become aware of some fascinating research on sleep. Mm. It has changed my life entirely. And in retrospect, it helped explain many of my children during their teenage years. So I would I would highly recommend this book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Walker, yes, that might be a relative of mine. It could well be. Um, <laughs> it, it's one of, I would say, it, it's Possibly the most, other than like the Bible or something, this is, this is the most important book I've ever read in my life because mm. we completely don't understand the relationship between sleep and neurological function and learning abilities and attitudes. And what so many teenagers are, are doing now is they're compulsively shorting themselves sleep because they'll stay up late, they've got screens, it's interfering with their REM sleep and their circadian rhythms, and then we make them get up early because we think that's what discipline is all about. And I just, I have enough experience now observing myself and my children and others to know that just being short an hour or two a few days a week can spiral you into unhappiness and moodiness and Mm -hmm. general lack of motivation to do anything. So, you know, I'd look at it that way. I'd also say that one of the things I've observed about teenagers is they, they get interested when you give them responsibility. So, you know, one of the things, uh, John Taylor Gatto in Underground History of American Education, he says, what every 13-year-old needs more than anything else is real, honest to God, meaningful life and death responsibility. Right. And that's exactly what our schools and our whole system contrives to prevent. Mm. Maria Montessori, her attitude about teenagers is basically don't bother teaching them anything. Make them work. (laughs) Oh. Right? Go out and work on a farm for three years. Right? Get past the hormone imbalance. Get Learn how to work. Don't try to, you know do too much academically, and then they'll come in and they'll be ready to learn. So, you know, I think there's some wisdom to that, especially in some cases, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, maybe what this kid really needs is a job or a business (laughs) or some kind of important responsibility. The problem is oftentimes we will contrive artificial responsibilities and then they know, well, you don't really need that. It's mm-hmm. just a joke, you know, so I don't care. And then, you know, perhaps the ultimate solution is send them to go live somewhere else. So it's tough. Every, I mean, teenagers are very tough. Everybody's always wondering about it. In fact, on the newsstand, I think it was the Scientific American or something, it was understanding the teenage brain. <laughs> wow. Everyone's been trying to figure this out for right. decades. So. Right. You know, you're not alone. If this is your first teenager, well, welcome to the next 10 years of your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I have one more question because we are we are out of time, but I'm going to just take All right, this time to ask in. one more question. And it's a question our customer service team gets a lot. Okay. The answer is no. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Where do I start? What do I need in order to teach my middle school student to be prepared for high school writing. Well, Kristen's here. She should answer the question. She's our customer service star. What do you do? You get the teaching, writing, structure, and style. You watch it 
You learn it yourself. Once you've learned it, do all the practicum exercises so that you can teach it. Writing's a skill. You can't really just teach something you don't understand to some degree. You don't have to be great, but you have to understand it to some degree. And then what we would probably recommend is, you know, one option, uh, get the student writing intensive video and show that to your student. And I'll do all the heavy lifting. I'll introduce the new unit, introduce the new style techniques. I'll tell jokes. That's very important. The source text, hopefully, will be engaging. And so it's a package. Just do it. But if you don't have the background yourself, you're not going to feel entirely sure about how to help the student. If you don't want to go the video format, we have one of the theme-based writing lesson books. Um, you know, U.S. history, medieval history is great for boys, ancient history, Narnia. We've got a bunch of these things. And that'll give you a year's worth of lesson plans if you do one a week. Quite a bit of writing, mm -hmm. quite a bit of writing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe a year or two with one of those helps, you may get to the point and say, well, I, I can design writing lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that hard. You just need to know what unit you're in. Source text that fits, write a checklist, and do a little practice, and you're off. So, but it, but one of the things that makes us different, d distinguishes us from almost anyone out there selling a writing program or curriculum or materials, is that we really focus on on the teacher. Mm -hmm. We focus on the teaching parent, the tutor, the teacher. You learn our system, then you can teach. Don't learn our system, it's going to be hard. Well, thank you, Andrew, again, as always, for helping us answer all these questions that come in. And again, if you have any questions, listeners, to have Andrew answer, please email us at podcast at IEW.com. Or if you need a more immediate answer and don't want to wait till the next 10th episode, then just call our customer service team, 1-800-856-5815. You'll always get a cheerful hello and great advice. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Mm -hmm.